have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. 10-5, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Hey, all, and thanks for tuning in the fourth edition of Scoring at the Movies, the every other week podcast that gallivants back to peer at sports movies from our youth. Youths? Youth? Oh, you should know that that gallivanting will be chock full of spoilage. I'm the ultra-angry baseball manager who should be fired for a myriad of reasons that don't even involve celestial beings, Ryan Ellis. And here's the guy who feels, it could happen, my co-host Chris DiGregorio. Listen, Ryan, I told you when I spiked you on the way to the fridge for my beer, it was a clean play. Get out on the field, anything can happen. Sassafras! No swearing! Probably the most controversial word in the whole movie, and especially George Knox's rants, is sassafras. Sassafras. Thank you, Disney. This guy clearly was saying a lot worse than that, but they wouldn't let him do it because it's Disney. Okay, before we get into the body of Angels in the Outfield, this week's podcast, a few Karate Kid fixes, additions, corrections, whatever you want to call it. Bobby... The one who is so sorry for hurting Daniel in the tournament is the one who trips Daniel while they're playing soccer. He even takes up the same leg that he kicks in the semifinals of the tournament. He's the guy that says, nobody hits me in the face. Exactly. I'm going to rip your face off. And hold me. Why are you guys holding me? Yeah, hold me back. Hold me back. That's Bobby. And Cobra Kai regular Dutch is the one who makes faces at Daniel that you like so much. Oh, that's Dutch? Yep. Oh, that guy is having the most fun of anybody in our group. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. not an extra. It's one of the main villains. Okay. As All the right. karate kid is leaving the field. Well, Dutch has just vaulted up my ranking as far as favorite characters in the karate kid. And that's Steve McQueen's son. Oh, wow. Chad McQueen. Chad McQueen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this week's film, Angels in the Outfield, after debuting in Pittsburgh, probably to honor the fact that the team in the 1951 Angels in the Outfield, so we are doing a remake here, were the dreadful pirates who'd been bad for so long at that point. This movie, the remake, was released by Disney on July 15th, 1994. As Chris and I were just talking about off mic, a great year for movies. It more than doubled its budget and finished 26th at the 1994 U.S. box office. Forrest Gump was number one. Wait, are you honestly going to tell me that Forrest Gump outdrew Angels in the Outfield in 1994? Seven or eight bucks at least. Okay, so it's a close race. One ticket. All right, well, thank God. Tom Hanks went one extra time. I was almost floored by that fact, Ryan. Well, Angels did finish 26. That's not that bad, really. That's not terrible, but I just thought for like a a cinematic masterpiece such as this, such a tour de force of both acting and screenwriting, that it would have at least challenged. What has the more famous cast, this or Forrest Gump? Now, at least. I think this. Yeah, shockingly. I had more fun, well, no, that's not true, but I had at least as much fun identifying famous or at least well-known character actors Mm -hmm. like Taylor Negron, like that guy that you see all the time. Mm -hmm. They just scattered everywhere in this movie, and the fact that it was as bad as it was in so many ways is kind of stunning, but I guess they're all just actors getting their start at this point. Well, the movie's galactically stupid. Most of the players seem, we'll say, challenged. (laughs) The players themselves are pretty challenged, especially Matthew McConaughey and Neil McDonough. And there's not a single bona fide laugh in the whole movie. Not when I watched it on YouTube a few weeks ago. Well, not an intentionally bona fide right. laugh. Anyway. But I can't hate this film, even though it's all those things. I can't either. It's no. a baseball movie, for one thing. Yeah, and I think it was a really interesting choice for this. Like you said, our fourth podcast. Four days after July 4th. Numerology. Four and four. Four squared. Well, we're recording this on July 8th. Okay, I see you're Right, saying. so right. four days after July 4th. Four and four, 16. 2016, Donald Trump is elected. Trump is the best suit in Euchre. 
Euchre, you play with a deck of 24 cards, right? 24 hours in a day, day and night, <laughs> night and day, golden nights, Las Vegas golden nights, Las Vegas casinos, Las Vegas bookies, gambling, fixing games, bookies fixing games, angels and bookies fixing... I think we figured it out, Ryan. I just... <laughs> numerology this thing i think those angels had money on the angels to win as the grand underdogs in 1994 and they were just laying wagers it wasn't anything magnanimous or out of the goodness of their hearts helping out roger no 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 al was out for big bucks i think that was the whole thing (laughs) that was great well i've done the nutshell in every podcast for this of course like i do for the regular ones with bev i feel like i've topped you or at least you said i topped you i'm not going to top that with this nutshell but let's do it anyway (laughs) Adoption fast-tracked as hallucinating youth is handed over to dangerously violent man. Wow. And his little buddy is too, but it's about the hallucinating youth. Although I guess they're both hallucinating because Roger sees the angel at the end. He sees Al, right? At the very end of the film? You mean JP? Yeah, Roger's the main character. Roger's, yes, it, it could happen! It could happen! I don't think either one of us are the kinds of guys that are innately warmed by young children in movies. We're not going to... I have been, but not as have default. Been, but a young child actor you're not going to gush over. And neither am I, I don't believe. But JP might be the cutest damn kid I've ever seen in a movie. Everything that kid did... No? He's on the You are a man of stone. Drew Barrymore in E.T. comes to mind, first of all. That's both a great actress and a cuter. I'm not necessarily saying, A, he's the best actor as a young child I've ever seen, nor necessarily the cutest. But I think he's got to be in my top five cutest child actor kids in any movie I can remember seeing as an adult anyway. Especially scenes like when he dumps his soda on Taylor Negron after showering him in mustard and I wet my or I'm all wet or I wet myself. <laughs> Milton Davis Jr. only made one other movie, so obviously the studios didn't think a whole lot of his talent. Yeah, that's fair. I looked up some of these kids that had little bit parts in it too, like little Timmy or whatever the hell his name is that shows up for the one scene in the sandlot with Knox and the kids when they're playing okay. ball. And how about you, kid, on the hood of that car in the background? Have you ever played ball? Oh, I've never played ball, run home, run home, run home thing. Yeah. And takes off down Take the that gag from Good Morning Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> but the woman runs home, literally. Uh, I know, yeah. it was thievery on their part. But same thing, that kid did zero other things after that. Right. So clearly he didn't win over the studio. But the main character in the whole movie has become a big player. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who J-G-L. knew? JGL. He was 12 during shooting. He was 12? Yeah. Oh, wow. Probably 13 when the movie came out. I didn't look that closely, but I did read he was 12 when he was actually making the movie. He's not a big guy, but very small kid then. He was pretty good in this too. I think considering the script is not good and considering the acting talent in total that you have to say he was great in this role because had it been Steven Spielberg directing him in E.T. for example he might have been brilliant I'm the first to admit that I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt now Mm. and his body of work is fantastic but you're right the script was bad except in one very important way and that is character naming they had some fantastic characters. Ranch Wilder! I'm Ranch Wilder! That is a great name, yeah. That's Gordon Bombay level. It's better than Gordon it's Bombay. Good. It's close. I mean, it's pretty damn close. And what does JP say to him at the end? You have a big chin or some such thing. Like, your chin is huge. Everyone's a critic. What were the other ones? There was Trisket, the big catcher. Fat dude in movies. Let's Trisket, look it up. Trisket Meacham or something like that. What are these names here? Trisket Mesmer. Mesmer. And Neil McDonough's character, what? Bass. Bass, yeah. He should be a lefty to be as flaky as he is. How is he not a lefty? Yeah, that's true. This movie knows nothing about baseball, though, so of course they're going to mess that up. One of the things that pissed me off more than anything else was when they win the pennant, their glorious moment at the end. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have happened that way because they were in the same division as the White Sox. That's right. This is when they were still just two divisions in baseball. 
So they would have had to have played a team from the other division to get to that point. So it was a huge gaping flaw to somebody as pedantically dorky about sports as I am at the end to have that grand celebration. It's like, you didn't really accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. But now that I think about it, maybe that's why Roger doesn't ultimately get his wish because the Angels didn't, in fact, win the pennant. They only defeated their divisional rivals and therefore he can't get his father back yet. He already lost him anyway. Listen... I'm trying to I'm trying to be a little bit emotional and find reasons why that cold cold man gave away his kid, Dermot Mulroney. Another good actor, Dermot Mulroney, who's such an asshole. He is the biggest dick, and I love the beginning. Where have you been? I've been waiting for you. Smoking in the foster home. <laughs> Clearly, this foster home doesn't care about the lung health of the children that are staying there. But mm. he's smoking away, and he makes some sort of oblique comments. I'm leaving. They had me sign some sort of paperwork. Maybe if your mom were here, it'd be different. You know what I mean, don't you? I'm sitting there watching them. I don't know what you mean. What are you talking about? Disney staple, the mom's dead. <laughs> the kid's an orphan, at least partly an orphan. But he doesn't explain that this means that you're now permanently here. He tells him, I have to sign some paper, I'm leaving, but I'll come back when the angels win the pennant. You understand what I'm saying, son? And Roger's like, yeah, I get dad. And <laughs> I'm, I'm 12. Saying, I'm 12. I totally understand what you just sort of very vaguely described to me. Okay. This movie also knows nothing of adoption, then, is what you're saying. And certainly nothing of baseball. I don't know how renunciation of guardianship in the States works and all that. I just wish the damn father had said, listen, kid, I'm giving you up. Ciao. And that had been it. But I guess that would have made for a very short and depressing movie if that was the case. And this movie's not trying to be short and depressing at all. It's a little long for a movie like this. Is it? Actually. I thought it was like an hour 35 or so. It's still a little long for a movie like this. <laughs> it only felt like a three-hour epic. Luckily, it's free on YouTube, although as I pointed out to you before, you saw it. I had already watched it. The sequence at the end, one of the dumbest things ever. We criticized the quack, quack, quacking in Mighty Ducks. But when everybody in the stadium is flapping their yeah. arms. Which was oddly <sighs> reminiscent of the Mighty Ducks. People in the stand do that, eh? At various Mighty things. Ducks? Yeah, they do the flocking motion oh, of God, the ducks. God, I remember that, really. So it's a little bit of a callback to that. This is, yeah, this is after Mighty Ducks, you're right. Something and homage. a Disney movie and a franchise that Disney would later own. When they buy the Angels... They bought the California Angels baseball team. They won the World the, Series in 2002. Yeah. just the LA Angels of Anaheim at that right, point. Right, they changed their name multiple times. Yeah. It's funny, too, because the Angels were shitty around this time frame, and they had been since 86 when they nearly went to the World Series but lost very famously against the Red Sox. But they've had years where they were competitive mm-hmm. in their existence. But they were never steadily good. Once but they while, never won good. a pennant. No. And, in fact, I don't think they did until they won the World Series in 2002, right? I think that was both their first pennant and first World Series true. win. In this movie, they cite the White... White Sox as the powerhouse nemesis. And they sort of were. In 93, well, they, they had been. But they'd been pitiful. Yeah. Before that, Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura was just getting to be superstar. Right. Thomas was a superstar, but the point is that the White Sox hadn't been good until the year this movie was made. And I was a little insulted. I mean, you and I being Toronto sports fans. But that's the first opponent. It's the powerhouse Blue Jays who were coming off two straight World Series. And what was the name of the batter that came up for the Blue oh, Jays? Yeah, what is it? Fucking fantastic name. What was it, though? And I'm blanking now. IMDb. Quickly, I need this. See what they say. It might just say Toronto batter. Oh, we'll no. Probably end up they announced the name, though. Toronto player. Oh, come on, man. Toronto player, Toronto manager. Did you know, by the way, the manager of the Blue Jays is the director of this film, William Deere? Is it really? Mm hmm. That is really depressing to me that I didn't think to write it down because it was the first instance before I figured out Whit Bass and Triscuit, whatever his name is, and all that. That was the first name that stuck out to my mind. It was a fantastic name. And the guy did... No, he crushed the ball, and it was the first angelic intervention. Where Matthew McConaughey is swept up. That's one of the things about this film that's so silly is, okay, the angels interfere, but can't you make it look at least somewhat realistic? Nobody notices that he's hanging on cables. (laughs) 25 feet laterally, and nobody... (laughs) 
huh, that's not bad. Good job, buddy. Or when the bat explodes when the catcher hits it, when the angels mess him with the ball so yeah. they make 19 errors. It's yeah. supposed to be funny. I get it. It's a kid's movie. I get that, too. But come on, make it look remotely realistic. Yeah, this is the problem when you have two guys that love baseball as much as we do. No, it's wrong. I mean, an exploding bat. The number of times somebody has broken a bat and hit a home run that I can remember in my lifetime, I could probably count on one hand. Really powerful guys have done it. Bo Jackson did Bo way Jackson. back. It's well, yeah. super Guys rare. have done it a little more recently. Because Bryce Harper's done it. That's right. That was this year. The balls fly more. I think they might be juiced again like they used to be. The players, as people yeah. know, are probably juiced. And everybody's just so strong, and they're always trying to hit home runs. It's yeah. probably just by default they're hitting more than they used to. But when we were kids, it was Bo Jackson and probably nobody else that could do that kind of thing. I remember right. that was raved about. He's so good, he can hit the ball over the fence with a broken bat. But I'm not destroyed bat, just a cracked bat. Yeah, but even breaking a bat at all takes so much energy out of the ball that I watched him like, no, it's wrong. <laughs> but again, like you said, kids movie, all in good fun. And it is largely pretty fun. I kind of enjoyed the Knox. Who was the pitcher that he slugged on the mound that he would later get fined all of $5,000 for, which I thought was pretty shocking. Which pitcher was that? Because he does. He punches the guy in the face. He should be so fired after brawling with his own player on the field, yeah, and punching Wilder in the post-game interview. All the things he's been doing, obviously, before that. Of course, this is the kind of movie where the team forgets all those things and loves them when they start winning. But they hate each other. Well, probably more so hate their manager in the movie's early on stages. Yeah. And yet, for some reason, all these things are forgiven. He should have been turfed at that point. But then maybe the owner, Murphy, who's basically a play-in for Gene Autry, who owned the California Angels at right. this point. Yeah. And ironically, I think it was the Autry family that sold to Disney a few years later. They bought this team. That makes was, sense. Is it the next year? They bought the I think it was 96, I think. And then they own them during the World Series year of 2002. That's right. I think they maybe have sold them since. But anyway. Yeah, they don't own them anymore. But Gene Autry, the cowboy from the movies from long before, had owned the team. And maybe Hank Murphy's a stand-in for Gene Autry. He seems like he's in on the whole Angels thing because right from the beginning, he's so serene. He nearly fires Knox, though, when the team is maybe about to win the American League East. Then he wants to fire Knox, but doesn't early on. Where it's just, oh, it'll work out, George. Don't worry about it. In fairness, though, this owner apparently just hired Knox on it. Because that's Knox's complaint. Is I came on to win, and I can't win with this bunch of ragtag yeah. misfits. And he's like, oh, you'll figure it out. We'll get there. Don't worry, right? So, obviously, Knox just coming off 10 years, as they describe, of winning baseball in Cincinnati. Right was just hired. Presumably he's a big name hire. You know, the owner's not going to bring him in and then just fire him like that. Even if he has a blow up where he just slugs a couple people in the I face. I think at that point maybe he should be. And also... Well, do you remember as a Toronto Blue Jays fan, yes. Gibbons... Around this time frame. Around this time frame. Oh no, I thought you were going to say Cito Gaston and David Wells. Wells and Cito Gaston. Gaston came out to pull David Wells and Wells didn't give him the ball and he fired it down the third baseline. Right, yeah. No, that was Gaston's second stint, though, with the Jays, right? When Wells came back as a starter. Oh, was it? I thought it was. was back in the World Series. Because I, thought, I, I thought so. Maybe I'm wrong. I was thinking personally of John Gibbons in his first stint with the Jays, which was the early 2000s. Would have been some years after this, about a decade, I guess. His own players were holding him back from Ted Lilly at that's the time. Right. Was, was that on the mound also? It started on the mound and continued into the bullpen, and that's when it came back to, you hold me back, and they almost brawled. So we didn't see the worst of it, though, but we heard about it later on. Because I'm saying the problem in this movie is that we see the fight on the field. Obviously, it's exaggerated, and Knox is such a blowhard hothead, it makes you wonder how anybody could like this man ever. Well, then he becomes so nice as the movie plays out, he's a complete saccharine wimp in the second half, which is nice. He's good to Roger and JP when he finally starts believing in Roger's visions of angels and starts believing because the team's winning. But he's so different in the second half of the movie. It's almost like the movie's saying, he's got this beautiful, nice guy inside of him. Danny Glover can play tough and hard, even though we think of him as a lethal weapon guy, yeah. Roger Murtaugh. His most famous character is named Roger, and the main character in this, his little buddy, is named Roger. Anyway, witness. He's one of the bad guys in that who's trying to kill Harrison Ford and a kid. 
I understand what they're trying to do. This movie proselytizes like nobody's business, I and mean, I guess you kind of expect that. Makes sense for religious angels movie. in the outfield, yeah, yeah. But they lay it on so thick throughout, right from the get-go with the angels showing up, and you get Christopher Lloyd, who's so mugging in this movie. For Christopher Lloyd, he's really over the top. He's over the top in Back to the Future, but it's believable. And this, he's over the top, and he just seems like he's allowed to do whatever he wants. He kind of mugs in One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, his first movie, but it works in that movie too. But not in this, I don't think. I didn't think it really worked. I found it a little bit off-putting and creepy as you described he them. seems like a child molester not an angel right exactly and he keeps showing up at random points where a capricious sponge don't tell anyone about us but we'll be watching you kid we'll be watching you and then he disappears don't drink me don't suck me up <laughs> like, okay at the end he says championships have to be won on their own it's a rule who makes the rules why are the angels allowed to interfere in the first place and then they can't later on what the hell is that about very little about this does make sense, but you're right. I will say, one of the things I enjoyed about this, and I kind of talked about this a little bit in The Mighty Ducks, it annoys me when a team can't just succeed by virtue of their own hard work mm-hmm. and coming together as a team, and that in The Mighty Ducks case, they had the best player in the league come on board with them, and some other things happen. In this case, the angels, the literal angels, the cherubim, angelic angels, help this team get to the championship, but then they do win it on their own. And I kind of like that a little bit. As unrealistic as it is, no team that bad is going to win probably even a single game against a team that's of championship caliber when it matters, right? Because you're going to be throwing your best stuff out there. It's possible, but unlikely. It could happen. It could happen. you got to believe. I like the fact that they didn't just use the angelic influence to win all the way through. They did it on their own. We talked about that on Mighty Ducks, so that's we a staple. Did. I can't think of it, and I couldn't think of it then. Other sports movies that have had people like Adam Banks come in, who's the great star, but then when the game is on the line, either the whole game or at least the very end of it, that new person, and also, what's his name, the brawling kid, oh, the big yeah, slap yeah. shooter, who was part of the team for a while, but he's gone too at the end of Mighty Ducks. They win with the original <laughs> I'm out, group. coach. You played 30 seconds. <laughs> he didn't even take your big shot. <laughs> but apart from getting the figure skating girl and her brother, yeah. that's the original team that wins the Mighty Ducks. Exactly. I know other sports movies have done that too, usually kids' sports movies, where at the very end, it's got to be our original group. And you're right, this one kind of is too. It's not that they bring in some star player in this movie, it's right. just star angels. It's kind of why I like the major league movies, at least the first two, for the same reason, because it's largely the same group of misfits that figure it out. And major League does understand baseball. There's a bit of a thing, we'll talk about that, we're going to cover that movie before the baseball playoffs in a couple of months. But for the most part, that's laid out well, even with the batting order, because when they have their top guys come up in the 8th and then to the ninth innings, right. it made sense, although somebody online has pointed out there may be one person off. This movie would have had no sense of that whatsoever, although I don't know what the batting order for the Angels in this movie is. But I could tell you what the Cleveland batting order is for Major League right now. The actual baseball action in this movie is very slapdash and vague. I have two words for you. Asher Lozado. Do not know that name. I did it! You stumped me. The Blue Jays player that I couldn't remember the name of that comes up with that early on. Asher Lozado. That's a good name. I don't even remember that name now. Also a great name. They have so many good names in this movie. They win a lot of one nothing games, by the way. So they're getting the pitching, but the offense is (laughs) terrible, even when they're winning. (laughs) Well, apparently Adrian Brody can't hit the broadside of a barn. He is the defense-only utility man. He's the guy that hits that ball that's 19 errors or maybe scores a run. Adrian Brody, a future Oscar winner. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Three Stooges hit. And in the quote-unquote championship game, the pennant game, Mel Clark is out there on the mound. Mm-hmm. Not very convincing as a ball player, by the way, Tony Danza, even though he played ball as a young guy. And he played the retired baseball player in Who's by the Boss? Like, Who's the is... Boss? 
What did I say? Who's by the boss? Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. That's who's the boss? <laughs> and they have a baseball episode boss? in that series or that show. I remember watching it, and I don't remember him looking unconvincing then. But when he throws the ball, he looks so wrong. He looks Charlie Sheen in Major League looks good. We talked about Kevin Costner on Tin Cup, and of course, Bev and I covered Bull yeah. Durham a few months ago. Looks great as an athlete, everything he ever did, but certainly as a baseball player. It's not like Danza's terrible, but when he throws the ball, he isn't throwing that thing 50 miles an hour, let alone 80 or 90. Yeah, he doesn't look smooth. He looks herky-jerky a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, tight. He should have been a knuckleballer. Maybe that would have made more sense. Yeah. He throws 156 pitches in that last game, by the That's way. That's what I was going to say. Modern stat guys would freak out about that. He's looking a little tired. What's it, Ranch was saying? The guy's out there, he's got nothing left. He's throwing 156 <laughs> pitches. If you throw 100 pitches now, mm-hmm. people freak out. Why is he still in the game? He's going to blow at his rotator cuff. There was a time, I was actually looking at this recently, where that was a pretty typical thing. Pitchers of old would throw 200 pitchers or more. It was something about quality starts on ESPN's website. Oh, yeah. So we're looking at some of the really old guys back in the Babe Ruth era into the 50s and 60s where guys would throw that many pitches. Yeah. They didn't throw the ball 95 miles exactly. an hour, though, every time. That was the difference. They'd save it up for when they really needed to. So the 156 isn't so extreme. And I think it was two years, no, one year after this, when David Cohn threw about that many pitches against the Mariners in that playoff game, one of the greatest baseball games I've ever seen, when the Mariners won the division series against the Yankees. He threw in game that five, many Cohn threw about 140 to 150, something like that. It was definitely more than 120, I'm pretty sure. Well, into the 90s, anyway. We hadn't hit the injury-plagued pitcher era mm-hmm. that we're in now just yet. So you still had pitchers throwing 100 plus I with think fair regularity. They were probably hurt, but they just didn't say so. Because was it because the manager was forcing pain pills down his throat to keep him out in the mound? That might have been it. But I didn't tell you to swallow or whatever <laughs> right? it was. Yeah. George Knox. Guys probably had the torn UCL, the elbow injury, that requires Tommy John surgery way back when and didn't know it. Guys have talked about since. I heard a pop. Guys from the 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s who are still alive and talking about this kind of thing. They had that. We just didn't know it. So they just pitched through. And they probably didn't throw nearly as well or nearly as hard, but they either got by or they didn't. But they were probably fucked up and they didn't know it. Or they didn't care to know it because they had to make their $200,000 a year back in those days if they That's were right. lucky. Actually, speaking of $200,000 a year, I kind of wondered how much money these players were making in this movie, and in particular, George Knox. He only got fined the $5,000. Early 90s. What were baseball players or baseball managers making at that era? Managers, I don't know. Players were getting a couple million. I remember when George Bell, Roger Clemens, Kirby Puckett, some of those guys in the late 80s, after some of the years they had had, were getting around a million, million and a half, and that was a bit of a scandal. Ricky Henderson got something like $3 million when he was clearly the best player, or one of the best players for many years. Right. And that was a big deal. What's the minimum now? Isn't it $3 million? Maybe it's not $3 million. Minimum? No, minimum is like must be six to 700000 is the rookie minimum. Okay, but that's for a brand new player, and these are all established stars I just mentioned. Yeah, it was a scandal to a lot of people. George Bell's going to be a DH, and he's making whatever the amount was, but about a million dollars? Yeah. That'd be a no-brainer now. If the guy hit even 15 home runs, he'd yeah. make that much money. Well, keep in mind, the year that this movie was made, 93, the Blue Jays, our home team, had the highest payroll in baseball. That's right. And it was about $90 million. And drawing the most fans. Yeah. And winning the most games. And $90 million now might be, if not the lowest payroll in baseball, it'll be the bottom third. Not the lowest. Tampa Bay definitely is lower than that. Oakland, I'm sure. Yeah, is but they have that. so much revenue sharing, you have to spend a minimum. And even Tampa, I guarantee you, is about $70 million. Yeah, this, have to look that up. When and Miami, too, after their grand sign. Oh, yeah. Sold up all their players. Yeah. But how much does a manager make? In this I era? Probably lives pretty well compared to people like us, but there's no way he's rich. He did hold up the NL MVP trophy at one point, so... Yeah, he was a star player. He was a star player not that long ago. He was their Johnny Bench. He was a catcher for the Reds. Yeah. The black Johnny Bench. (laughs) (laughs) Now manning the the bench. bench. (laughs) By the way, I usually say this way earlier in the podcast, but numbers-wise, 
The Rotten Tomatoes critics, because we've been hacking on the movie a lot here, 33% of them liked it. That's it. And 49% of audiences, so the audiences actually liked it more. And I actually saw this on the big screen in 1994. Did and I liked it well enough. It's one of those movies I saw. I had a girlfriend. We went to the movies all the time, like you. And from 93, I think it was, to 95, I saw a lot of movies with her, generally. And then from 96 to 98 or so, I barely saw movies on the big screen. And then ever since then, I've been a big movie fan. But I remember seeing this distinctly in some little theater in Burlington and enjoyed it well enough. But I was a big baseball fan, so that made sense. And I mentioned it as a remake of the 1951 flick. And guess who that co-starred? A pre-psycho Janet Lee. Huh. Obviously, she wasn't the main character. She's some side character. It's about men and angels playing baseball. <laughs> it's about men and boys playing baseball. <laughs> and angels. <laughs> I had to go back and watch this scene three or four times. It just made me laugh so hard. There's a point in the movie where Roger has to go to court to get turned over to the state formally. His mm-hmm. dad is finally renouncing full control. So he misses one of the more important games left in the season when the Angels and the White Sox are battling it out for the division lead. I think at that point the announcer, Ranch Wilder, says that the White Sox are surging and they're one game behind. Again, this is why it makes no sense that the pennant game can involve those two teams because they described them as being in the same division earlier. JP goes to the game to meet Roger so that they can signal the angels they flap their arms to George Knox and signal the angels are but he here. can't see angels at right. that point that's why JP is waiting for Roger to show up to do just that because mm-hmm. Roger's in court of course he never shows up the angels lose the game they still have a chance to win the division and of course they will but JP is just crushed in the bullpen not the bullpen sorry the dugout the clubhouse the clubhouse after the game oh, okay, right? Right. and that's when George comes over and consoles him and says listen Blah, blah, blah. Angels will figure it out. And by the way, George has obviously applied to be his foster father by this point, or what have you been called? His adopted father by this point. He must have. The rate at which you know civil servants and bureaucrats work? Yes. <laughs> Maybe months, months before. Prior. Months prior. <laughs> Ranch Wilder, who's lurking creepily in the background, overhears this, and then somehow it becomes a big news story that George Knox believes that angels are helping the team, which then leads to a press conference. Yeah. Where he has to Dumb scene. deny it. And I'm thinking, in what world is A, a sports reporter going to overhear a discussion between a guy consoling an eight-year-old kid? Yeah. He talks to JP afterwards briefly, but then turns that six- or eight-year-old kid's ramblings about angels helping a baseball team that he likes into, into fact. A, into fact, a news story <laughs> as the in, quote-unquote insider. Right. And then that becomes a press conference after the owner threatens to fire the coach because of this... This is what you were talking about earlier. Hank Murphy doesn't threaten to fire George Knox when he when, deserves it. When he physically assaults two people, but one article about George Knox believing in angels in a part of the country, well, you know, California not so much, but, but in the a country, country itself believes in angels by yes. and large. The fact that this old school Texan guy would be like, you are too much of a patriotic believer in our faith. That's not good. You have to tell me it's bullshit or I'm firing you, George. And then, of course, press conference, all is well and good. Everyone stands up and avows their support for... Maggie I, gets to speak up at that press conference. That's one of the biggest pieces of bullshit of all. Brenda Fricker, one of the many Oscar winners in this movie. Brenda Fricker, Adrian Brody, Matthew McConaughey, all won Oscars later on in their careers. JGO might win one one day. Danny Glover is a good enough actor. He could have been nominated, but yeah. he wasn't. Anyway... She stands up. Can I say something? No, shut up. Who the fuck are you? No, old lady, you stand. (laughs) Yeah, the floor recognizes random old lady. (laughs) Please tell us about finding the light in all of us. And it makes me want to go to a Blue Jays press conference and just stand up and say, excuse me, I'd like to say something, please. I believe in birds that are blue. (laughs) The actual bird. Well, then I guess Chris should have the floor, shouldn't he? I understand why the Blue Jays have won. Big Bird is helping them swing the (laughs) map. Well, the Jays need help because they're not winning this year. No, they're not that bad. 
Oh, they're pretty bad. That lineup scares no one. I know, but they're still closer to 500 than you would expect. That Four is true. Under, Playing without their best player for most of the yeah. year. Speaking of bad teams and jumping on board, I think the Angels win one or maybe two games after the Angels show up to help them out. All of a sudden, the fans start flocking to the stadium. Mm-hmm. They start talking about how there's more fans here than there's been in the last five or seven games combined. Holy hell. That is some quick bandwagon. It take a while, yeah. You're the worst team in the league, and you win two games, and suddenly everyone's flocking to the stadium. Front page and story. It. Like the Mighty Ducks won a couple of games, and suddenly they're <laughs> front page hockey news. <laughs> well, the Angels, by the way, as an actual team, really weren't that bad at that time frame. The Indians, who were, of course, the team in Major League, had been bad for a long time, so they were a great choice. And the Pirates, like I said, I looked this up, in the 50s, late 40s as well, when they made the original Angels in the outfield, were a really bad team. So the Angels were a good choice for this to be a shitty team, but they weren't desperately terribly bad, at least. The Angels didn't exist in 1951, by the way, so obviously that move in the 50s would have been with them, but they had to pick another team, so they go with the opposite of Angels, I guess Pirates, but that's because the Pirates were bad. And I brought back again to the fact that our favorite team, which was good in more recent years until the last maybe couple, but what was it, two, three years ago, the Jays were in the ALCS twice. Yeah, our favorite team 20. for so long was so bad, they could have had Blue Jays in the outfield. Oh, boy. But around the time frame of this film, they were the powerhouse. They were, yeah. You talked about Pirates versus Angels. We're almost a generation past from this, right? 1993 was when this was actually filmed, anyway, yeah. if not released. So we're talking 25 years. Yeah. So for 51 to 94, you've got another, what, 15 years yet before you're ready for another reboot of it. But I'd love to see sort of the modern, gritty reboot of this now, where instead of like angels in the outfield, you've got something like devils in the infield. And it, rather than a kid wanting his dad back, his parents separating, he's a spiteful little bugger, so he wants the devil to curse his dad's favorite baseball team. He has a handgun at his side at all times. Of, of course, course of course. Or an AR-15, probably. <laughs> yeah. And the team starts losing and can't win a game. And rather than have Danny Glover as the coach, it's like Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage has to channel his inner drive angry character and drive down to hell to challenge the devil to <laughs> to some sort the of... The devil duel. went down to Georgia. Yeah, exactly. And I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm just throwing it out there so we can start working on these treatments and really get our start in Hollywood as the gritty rebooters of our 90s movies. I like that idea, but I thought we were going to talk about Batman being a part of this movie. Oh. Evan and I released The Dark Knight a few days ago, and I did a few Batman impressions. You're well, so well practiced at this I was point. more of the Joker guy in that podcast, surprisingly, than I oh, was Batman. Not, I, was, I was somehow skipped over Joker and went almost to Mickey Mouse. That was... <laughs> Get it right, Chris! <laughs> What's wrong with you? So, okay, you want a Batman, Angels in the Outfield, <laughs> Amalgam crossover movie? Bats in the Outfield. Ba- <laughs> what does that look like? Bruce Wayne buys the California Angels and... He's got the money. Yeah, he could and builds the Batcave. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's already part of the team is now whatever he would be because he's not a kid anymore. Of course. Now he's the manager. Now he's saying Sassafras. (laughs) Sassafras. What position would Batman play? Everywhere. (laughs) All the time? Because I'm Batman. Thank you how it should have ended. You guys are great. That's my favorite thing about that. When they have Batman and Superman in the cafe, and it always comes down to that at the end. Whatever the reason is, why can you do something? Why did this happen? Because of Batman. <laughs> Those guys are fucking excellent. Uh, I'd love to see Ranch Wilder try to slide into home plate, cleats up on Batman, and he just, some sort of elbow to the head, spikes him into the ground instead. I'm wearing hockey pads. I don't feel anything. This is three inches of Kevlar. <laughs> nice try, asshole. Uh, Alright, so back to Angels in the Outfield. I'm sure we'll do a little more Batman before it's over with. 
But we do have a real ball player in this, and that's Carney Lansford, who is a moderate star with the Oakland A's at this point. Hit or die, Kesey. Now, he is on the road as a member of the White Sox. So it says hit or die, Kesey on the scoreboard. Home teams don't give visiting players nicknames and put that on the scoreboard. In fact, a former player comes back. We mentioned again our own home stadium, the Sky Dome. Some great player that comes back here. It's not Paul Molitor, Roberto Alomar, Joe Carter, whoever comes back after their long run in the World Series years. It's not, at bat, Roberto Alomar for the Indians. It's, at bat, number 12, Roberto Alomar. And the fans might cheer him, but the PA guy doesn't. In this game, they're actually supporting the other guy, which is so weird. And then the only reason that Mel Clark wins the game is because Hitter Diakisi hits a rocket that he happens to catch. That was a nice dive. And some really great grunt work on the part of Tony Danza while making the dive. There was a number of, oh, caresses the ball. I got it. I got it. I got it. Oh, I got it. I got it. I don't got it. I do like he didn't strike him out. That's pretty good because most movies, actually, it's funny how often, I've looked this up before, in reality, pennants or World Series games have been ended with either home runs or strikeouts. It's quite often, surprisingly. And this movie doesn't actually go down that road. It ends with a realistic thing where this great hitter hits a missile that just happens to be caught. What does George Knox say to him when he goes out to the mound? Which, by the way, was like the longest mound visit of all time. Because they watched the angels flapping thing. Yeah. I gotta take him out. With the bases loaded, two out, and a 3-2 count. Now you give up on the guy? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? No, just, finally! He comes out there. Yeah, Ranch, finally. He should have been out of there long before that point. Tony Danza says, I got nothing left, Danny Glover. George Knox says. But does he say you've got one more strike in you or one more out? I didn't think about that until you just mentioned he doesn't actually strike him out, of course. He makes the defensive play to get the last out of the game. But if it's you've got one more strike in you, then that's deceiving because he doesn't get that last strike. He gets the out. Except the guy swings, so I guess it's a strike for that reason. But he's also it's, lying to him about having an angel, which he doesn't. Nobody has an angel in the entire game. But does Danny Glover know he's lying because you've got Roger in the dugout doing his asinine wing flapping thing at him, which is the signal. But Roger tells George there's no angel, and George lies to Mel. Oh, he told him. Willingly lied to Mel. Ah. But then again, that's actually a pretty good piece of writing in a movie that's not that well written. So the angels support lying, just not swearing. Right. Or, sure. <laughs> but that's actually pretty... Sassafras. <laughs> that's pretty smart. Gosh, darn it. Managers and coaches in professional sports and even amateur sports, lying is maybe a little strong, but they manipulate their players all the time. And certainly, yeah, they do lie to them sometimes. Oh, you have to. I mean, you've for the good and for the bad. Yeah, you got to massage egos, right? Yeah. I mean, you've talked about coaching and things like that. We've done it at what we do. Yeah, of course. No, you're doing great. You got this. Somebody will do awful in the games that we play. Regular softball. Mixed. Never us, mind you. We're always <laughs> spectacular. But someone who everyone knows isn't very good will make a pretty weak out, whatever it is. I'm not the greatest at this, but a lot of people will be, oh, way to go, nice try. And think, but it wasn't a very nice try. I keep but I guess they around. tried, so. Every time you come out to support me, as my coach, Ryan, it would be more believable if you weren't gritting your teeth and the veins in your temples weren't throbbing when you were saying it. Why can't you get this right? <laughs> Ryan, why are you shattering their glasses in your hand? Like, <laughs> you're doing great, Chris. Keep it up. I'd like to think I'm supportive, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> yeah, you always make me fear for my life slightly. But still, I appreciate the efforts you make. So the angel arm flapping thing is almost as dumb as the quacking in Mighty Ducks, but it also reminds all of us of this time frame, or should anyway. I don't think they still do this, but I know they did back in 1994, the Tomahawk Chop, which oh. originated, I think, with the Florida State Seminoles football team. I think that was something like that. No and then, idea. of course, the Braves took it in 1991 when they first became a good team. They were actually the team they could have used as the model for this just as well as the Angels, although you want the Angels in the outfield, of course. Yeah. But the Braves have been dreadful for so long. And then in 1991, out of nowhere, they go from worst to first. I think the Twins first beat them in the World forever. Series at the same thing. The Twins had been worst in 1990, as were the Braves, and they both went to the World Series, and the Twins won. 
But the Braves had the tomahawk chop. They were still doing it into the 2000s, I'm pretty sure, when the Braves were consistently good. And then they weren't for a little while. Then they went back to the playoffs for a little while. And I'm sure I saw it in 2000 and whatever it was, 7 yeah. or 12 or whatever year it was, they made the playoffs again. I hated it as a kid and a baseball fan in the 90s when the Blue Jays played the Braves in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Not because I found it intimidating. I just think it was so annoying. And a little racist. Although I didn't think of it at the, at the time. You know, I didn't think it was a racist at the time. Yeah, we were too young and it's a different era. I think now I would imagine they've done away with it for that very reason. Yeah. But one more compliment I can pay to Angels in the Outfield is that Roger is a liberated kid. Because really early in the film when he's praying to God, he even says, if you're a woman, he's speculating, okay, man, woman, whatever, please help my team win. I can't remember what the exact line is, but you're right, he prays to God, turns to go to sleep, and then catches himself and realizes, oh, and any woman up there, right? So he actually (laughs) consciously thinks, oh, you know what, it might just be a woman too. So you're right, he's a very progressive little boy. Maybe it's a play on Tinkerbell, Pinocchio, that kind of thing. It's a godlike figure, an angel-like figure that actually grants the doll, or the wooden doll, real life. I'm a real boy! And in this case, of course, it's granting a team, a fucking baseball team, a chance to win a game. Yeah. Just because the kid wants it. But prayers can be answered. I like this more than I probably should. Because like we've said, the script is bad. It doesn't make a lot of sense at times. There's scenes that make you groan. But it's still kind of cute and fun. And there's aspects like I talked about. I like the way that they wrapped up the game versus ways they could have otherwise done it. Yeah. And that damn JP kid really got to me, for better or worse. Some of the things are just so stupid that even if it didn't make me laugh out loud, I kind of enjoyed it. Like the names of the characters and some of the things they do. Although that stupid picture, what's the actor's name? It's the Neil Bass, Bass yeah. Whitley. Or Neil, McDonough. Neil McDonough. Who's been in a lot of good movies. He's a pretty good actor. He's a good actor and I've seen him in other stuff I yeah. like. I hated his shtick in this movie so much. I guess it's based on Turk Wendell or something like that. I don't know if he was even pitching at that point, but he was with the Cubs. Yeah. Like a lot of guys were like that actually. But it's almost always a lefty who's weird like that. Oh, yeah. How'd they miss that? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, I'm a pitcher. Oh, okay. And then topples over backwards. McConaughey's all. dumb too, though. Yeah, but he's, he's the one who's carried by the angels in the first miracle. He doesn't have a lot to do in the movie, though. He doesn't have a lot of lines. He talks to the coach briefly. Oh, I felt like I was being carried. I felt you're right. Yeah, he barely speaks. Otherwise, you just see him running in the field. A I few think times. this is the same. And shirtless in the dugout a few times, oh. or the <laughs> locker room. See YouTube for Matt Damon's great impression of that. <laughs> Got to take our shirts off. <laughs> <laughs> this was around the same time, maybe in the exact same year. The McConaughey was in one of the Texas Chainsaw movies as a psychotic killer too. Really? So you covered I never both, saw both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, he and Renee Zellweger were in that. I never saw that one. I've seen most of the Texas Chainsaws, but not that. Huh. And he was also coming off of Days and Confused the year before this, which was, at the time, everyone, well, maybe more so now, it's a star-making performance. Maybe it wasn't so much at that point. All right, all but then, right, and he was, all right. <laughs> he wasn't a time to kill a few years after this, so maybe it was star-making, but then things don't happen immediately. It was snowballing for Yeah, this you get to be a star anyway. a year or two later, not five seconds or five yeah. months later. I don't think it was Bass Whitley that said it, but they lose... Whit Bass. Wit Bass. Wit Bass. Wit, as an Ernie Wit. Wit Bass. Bass. Is that his name? Bass Whitley Wit Bass? Let's look it up really? again. It's still sitting here. Let's see. Wit Bass. Yeah. Still great. They lose that horrible game to the Blue Jays. And they walk to the dugout and they're all tapping the pole. And, and you know, why are you idiots doing that? And then, you know, Bass Whitley's for good luck and all Whit that. Wit Bass, Chris. Get his name right. No, he's like Bass him. Whitley to me and will remain so. All right, fine. But he says, oh, maybe we should tap the pole before we lose the game. Oh, yuck. <laughs> I think it's Adrian Brody's character that says, you know, maybe we should find something else to rub instead of the... the, 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 the <laughs> and I know they don't mean that. Maybe, maybe the writers did mean that. Maybe they did, but I thought that was a great line. And I can just ima- <laughs> imagine the teenage boys in the crowd giggling to themselves as they watch this movie. But maybe I'm the only one that interpreted things that way. 
I'm a dirty old man, Ryan, is what I'm saying. I am. And you should be looking for slightly like ashamed of myself. If you see that kind of stuff in movies, I bet you more often than not, somebody behind the scenes, writer, director, whoever, meant it to be that way. It's and, rare that, and, I, that this is the kind of thing that I catch in a movie, but when you come in and you're all tapping on a pole and somebody walks by and says, we got to find something else to rub... Jerk one out before the game starts. Be relaxed. I was just reading yesterday. You guys are too tight. Nelson Cruz, the DH for the Mariners, sleeps before games. I guess all the time. That sounds like a, that sounds like so the whatever, kind of training regimen I can whatever works for you. Yeah, exactly. Whatever works for you. I yeah, guess. Why not? Hey, listen. Was it the International Olympic Committee or something? Just supplies endless amounts of condoms to their Olympic villages whenever they hold an right. Olympics because. Apparently it's one immense orgy the whole time the Olympics are on. I remember reading some release. female skier who had a quickie with her husband before, maybe not every event, but certainly certain events. Well, I don't know what the point is, to release tension? Or I don't know why you do that. super relaxed. I mean, you think you'd want to be like in Raging Bull where it's, you can't touch me, I'm going to be all rubbed up for months. Gone are the days when you can't have any kind of sexual contact for weeks. In Which doesn't day. make sense to me. I get the day of, maybe the day before. <laughs> oh, I'm so sleepy. Huh. Yeah. You will recover within a few days. You don't have to not have sex for months. Listen, Ryan. A few you, days, a few hours. You might be sake. a sexual dynamo, all right? But I need at least a week or two to recover. <laughs> from having an orgasm. Yeah. My thrusting I, is so overwhelming. There's a reason I use weeks and weeks worth of sick days at work every year. No, all right? That's why. Now we know. I really hope my boss doesn't listen to this now. <laughs> you doubted yourself. <laughs> I think I said at the top, by the way, about liking the movie. And I'll put it this way. I hate liked it. I hate fucked it, if you will. So my question to you... And then you took a nap afterwards. Definitely. And felt refreshed. For many days. But my question to you, we haven't brought this up before. Because we call this podcast Scoring of the Movies, can you score at this movie? Oh, wow. No. Oh, wow. The answer is no. (laughs) This should become a regular feature. Hopefully I remember to ask you this next time and the time after and so on. If you took a date to this movie, could you have scored? Did you just not tell me earlier that you did take a date to this movie? Ah, we could fuck after every movie, though. I was 20 years old and... Everything was good, so why not? We probably banged after even Schindler's List. I didn't see Schindler's List with her, but you get the point. Okay, so I appreciate this is the first time we've done this, so I need to contextualize this question right. a little bit. Are you asking me, could you score at the movie because it is setting such a mood, or that it is otherwise so boring that you need to otherwise distract yourself? Or is it because the theater is so empty hmm. that you have all the privacy in the world to do what you want? Those are all fair questions. Or is it a combination of all three? Do we need to consider all of these Maybe things? Maybe the combination. My instant thought would be, does the movie make you want to fuck? Well, the answer is no. <laughs> given that it's centered around two young boys, no. <laughs> Thank no. God you said that. And a very angry Danny Glover. And the only female character in the movie of any note at all that I can remember is the foster home. Mm. Old Brenda Fricker. Yeah, so she's a fine actress, but past her leading lady prime, I suppose. So your provisos then, the other empty theaters or what have you. So empty theater, no, because it was a good box office success at the time. If not a smash, it was not successful. Smash, but it's okay. So a set would say, would she go down on you in a theater? Not in this theater. Not I gotta say, no, no. Too many no. kids around. Too many kids. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Charlie, look the other way for two minutes. No, it's not happening here, Ryan. I so the basic answer is no for Angel's Nail Field, then. That's right. That's okay, right. fair enough. Now, we both watched this movie, by the way, on YouTube. It's a pretty shitty print. The first hour and 20 or so minutes is fine, but when they get to the sequence when Danny Glover comes out and talks to Tony Danza, lies to him, he has an angel with him, and everyone's flapping their arms in that stupid way, there's no audio. So you can do what I did and find that single clip 
and then go back to the movie because it recovers for some reason not long after that. Chris didn't care. He just let it go on with no audio. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was missing out on any major plot points. But if you want to see this movie for some reason, if you haven't already, then you can watch it on YouTube. I'm pretty sure you could likely watch the entirety of this movie with zero audio and, and understand it anyway. <laughs> there's it's probably true. There's not a lot of deep conversations that you like. Not a lot of exposition that is required to understand what's happening. It's pretty on its face. The deleted scene we didn't see was George Knox at the adoption board thing saying, "I'm going to adopt this kid that you don't even know I know, and this other kid too. I could never go without JP." Now, Mr. Knox. Is it true that you have these two assault convictions on your record and that there's a civil suit pending against you for assaulting a ranch wilder? <laughs> well, yes, but even so, give me these two children. Do you have a wife? No. But even so, give me these two children. <laughs> well, all checks out. You get a good job, <laughs> at least. Yeah. You're making money. I can only assume that because of his baseball celebrity, he was able to fast-track his mm-hmm. adoption application with these two kids. Because otherwise... It made no sense. And I say that as a civil servant, Ryan. It made no sense. Nobody's right. working that fast. So thumbs down on this movie, but we still enjoyed it, if that makes sense. We would never recommend it to people, but it's it is really stupid fun. But we're also big baseball right. fans. My favorite sport is baseball. My second favorite sport, if you want to call it a sport, is pool. Yeah, so but, any but the baseball base- in the movie is bad, right? Yeah. Like the portrayal of the sport is bad as is most of the acting, as is the dialogue, but there's something about it that's kind of endearing nonetheless, and I actually kind of enjoyed it for some stupid reason. Mm -hmm. I can't defend it. Major League will be better. We'll do that in a few months, and we'll probably end up doing other baseball movies. I'm sure we will do other baseball movies that are better than this. Okay, when you hear the two of us again in a couple of weeks, we'll review a good movie made by one of the great directors who's ever manned a bullhorn. It's Marty Scorsese's Pool Opus and a sequel to The Hustler. The Color of Money, which I watched quite a while ago and took notes, thankfully, although I don't really need notes. The Color of Money, any day. Have you watched it yet? Because I gave you the DVD. I haven't watched it yet. Not more recently. I've seen it a couple times in the Mm. past. I love the movie. I love Tom Jones. What's wrong with me? What's (laughs) new, wussy? Tom Cruise's hair in that movie is magnificent. But no, other than that, I haven't made any notes yet. I don't have anything intelligent to say. But we can't I, mock it like we can mock this one, or even Tin Cup or Mighty Oh, Dance. you say that now. Oh, we'll find but things I'll to... find a way. Bev and I have been doing this for 250 plus podcasts. Even the great movies, we've mocked a little bit of them. Oh, you have to. Especially a Tom Cruise movie. No movie. No, no movie's perfect, is what I was going to say. Well, listen. Mighty Ducks came close. <laughs> Angels Nailfield did not come close. <laughs> no. It was a bunt single, though. Like, it was a solid bunt single. <laughs> An error-filled bunt single. Yeah. I bunted... And then every player in the field converged and all somehow dun, failed, dun, 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 yeah, failed dun, dun, to field dun, dun, the ball. Dun, dun, and I somehow dun, dun, scored, dun, dun, so I felt like I dun, came dun, out ahead. All right, well, no one can see this, but let's flap our arms, Chris. Uh, no, there's no angel there. You're lying to me, Ryan. It's come on, Chris Lloyd, come in here and mug for us. <laughs> He's not flapping his arms. He doesn't believe. I'm, I'm you the non-believer. It could happen. It's not going to happen. And cut. <laughs>